Hey, good people. Welcome to Black Radical Imaginations Podcast. I am your host, Kristen, an Afrofuturist, a hip-hop feminist, and this is the podcast all about Black Radical Imagination, Afrofuturism, pop culture, higher ed, and we are here on episode five. Child, we made it. <laughs> um, because listen, bitch, dropping these episodes in the Mars and Aries retrograde, listen, but shit has got dropped. So I'm excited. Um, I'm so excited about the interview we have today. It's just it's so amazing, just beautiful, it's just everything. Like this this damn interview was just feeding my spirit in such a way when I replayed it. So I know it's going to feed your spirit in the same way. So we'll jump into the segments. Um, you know, the first segment is about affirmation and intention setting. Um, and you know, in full transparency, you know, I didn't really have anything this week, but I said, I, I would just share some music, um, that I've been listening to, um, to uplift my spirit. Um, Oh, wait, before I get into that, I just want to say that it is hot as fuck where I am right now. Um, so the windows are open, but you know, we, we listen, I couldn't be, I tried to bend a mask so I cut the fan off because the fan was all in the recording. And I was like, girl, cut the fan off. So just so you know, so if you're like, girl, what's going on back there? It's like, child, <laughs> I ain't finna sit here and sweat bullets, but... <laughs> It's just hot as hell. Like, it's so motherfucking hot. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just share some music that's been uplifting to my spirit. I've really been enjoying like all the R and B, like Tony Breaks a new album, Brandy's new album, Amber Riley's EP, um, the Durr album, like been sitting in my spirit. I also been um the Kiara Shear song, My Redeemer. Like, sometimes I play that when I wake up in the morning. Bitch, that shit been hitting right in my spirit. <laughs> um, And then I also made me, like, an old school little playlist with, like, you know, a little bit of, like, you know, the, the stylistics and gap band. Because the gap band had some good slow cuts. Like, <laughs> they have some good ass slow cuts, bitch. Like, I love it. So, I just been, um, really just, you know, and last night I was on Twitter and someone started a, a thread of, like, Frank Ocean, um, lyrics. And I just remember how healing music is and how, like, a lot of times, like, just not even the lyrics, but sometimes just the, the beat itself can just really, like, describe how you feeling. And I was looking back at lyrics, and I was like, oh, damn, bitch, I was really going through some shit. Like, you know, I'm not there no more, but I'm happy that I don't feel the same, of course, because it was years ago. But I was like, wow, this, like, two, five seconds of this fucking song embodied <laughs> so much for me at the, at the moment. And it just, recently I was doing some reading, on like music and oral tradition or history and it was just talking about music and time which this whole thing we'll get into that later soon later (laughs) um but yeah like I just I'm so thankful for music um you know I'm just thankful for the healing space that music creates and of course like yeah music 
it's not going to solve your problems. Like, I'm not sitting here and saying it, but um, sometimes it's like you just, it's music can just sum up emotions in such a way. I know for me that like, I, you know, I just don't know what it, like even just listening to music and just music is just, it's so much joy um you know and that's what's really been helping me keep my spirit uplifted helping me you know get up and move when I wake up if I play a certain song it's a little upbeat um just really really enjoying music for what it is so you know I hope um you know just you can enjoy something you know it might not be music for you it might be I want to look at this comic book or, you know, like the things that bring you joy, like doing those things is really the small things and incorporating those um, into like the everyday ritual of your life, you know? And I'm also um, learning how to just be more intentional about silence. Um, Yeah. So that's a whole nother thing. So, yeah, so enjoy some fucking music out here in these streets. <laughs> um, I don't have anything for the higher ed uh, portion that I have not said already. Um, so, if you want to go back, the past four episodes, I've been talking about higher ed. Um, so, I don't have anything new. I don't have any new developments. <laughs> um, so, you know, just stay safe out here. Get your rest. Please, please, please get your rest. Um, cause you know, don't work yourself a damn deaf child. Um, and so I only have one thing I wanted to talk about in the popular culture section. And let me be clear, there's a whole bunch of shit going on, but I just, <laughs> you know, I just refuse. So this is our popular culture section. The fuck is going on? So... Whew, child. Child. This Kiki Palmer shit, like, I don't know. It's just like, so for those of you who don't know, Kiki Palmer made a tweet saying, oh, imagine if EBT could only buy healthy food. (laughs) And (laughs) it was just, it's frustrating, like, because of, the anti-blackness within that statement, like the anti-fatness, like in this state, what a fat phobia, excuse me, the fat phobia, um, the ableism within this, like this idea, this construct of health is based on white supremacy. Like, and I just was like, one, who told you? I'm like, I, I just don't know why people are being in poor people's business one but i'm like so you think instead of us having a system where people all of us can buy the food that we want that we need to only to to let people who can't fucking afford food to let make them like your idea of what's healthy food like food is fucking food um and it's just frustrating like (laughs) people are really out of touch like they don't and i'm like how are you speaking on something you know nothing about 
And you know, people, you know, I saw people, my so-and-so will buy healthy food with their food stamps. I'm like, I'm not finna get up here and be on no moral compass. People buy food. Like, <laughs> it's not on no motherfucking, um, no, you don't have to know. The fucking, we should have infrastructure that's, that supports all of us buying the fucking food we want. Being able to grow our food and shit like that. So don't, like, that shit is just... It's just strange and it's weird and it's fucking outdated and it's fucking unnecessary, if I can be completely honest. And it, it just made me think about like, a food is just such a healing agent and food is so much joy and pleasure for black people. Like, a lot of my favorite memories, you know, revolve around food. And I am a fat black woman. Um, and I have had to unpack my own fat phobia with my own body. Like, I'm not ashamed to say this shit, you know. But I'm like, in doing that, I was able to just really live in peace with my body and my memories that are always attached with some gathering where food is involved. And like, enjoying those moments and being thankful I have those memories for my ancestors who not here no more. I'm thankful I have the memory of us sharing food. I all I all the time think about me and my grandma eating at the table first thing in the morning, you know, drinking us some coffee. Sometimes my aunt would cook breakfast. Me and my grandma, we kind of would like our eggs. We like Fridays, but we like it like with the yolk, you know, the yolk coming out a little bit. We don't like it, you know. I forgot what you call it, but bitch, y'all know what I'm talking about. And like country ham. Like I'm a, I'm a Southern bitch. So listen, a bitch love a good Southern breakfast. Breakfast is one of my favorite food, you know, because when I would go to my grandma and papa on my dad's side, we would have breakfast with my cousins. Like food and gathering is a beautiful thing. And I'm not, I, I just, I'm glad I live in a space where I'm going to enjoy everything about myself, every piece of myself. And you know, <clears throat> realize that it's not wrong for me to enjoy things. Let me tell you something. When my grandmother transitioned, it was through cooking and cooking food specifically that she cooked or that she liked that I was able to cope. Like, I'm not talking like now. I'm talking about like in the same year. Literally, like my grandma passed in June. I moved to Baltimore in like August right and like it was through moments in the kitchen you know where I would cook it would make me feel better it would make me cooking stuff she would eat me and my mom we faithfully like for example my grandma's birthday is October me my mom and my aunt we all ate fish on her birthday because my grandma loved bone and fish like it's through those things that is how we keep our, the names of our people alive so when you try to push this narrative about healthiness and all of this stuff it's just unfair a lot of our connection to spirit is through food whether it's growing food eating food growing the food that you eat like that's the real thing caring about the people who package our food who pick our food if you want to sit up here and you want to talk about some shit regarding food and shit then that's what the fuck you need to be talking about you know and, and Brittany talked about this in her episode and i'll link that episode here but why is the, the blueberries cost five six fucking dollars but the person the pack one pack of it costs more than what the person gets paid to pick it that's the fucking problem it is not what people spend their goddamn money on and like 
it's just not it's not right and it's it's wrong and i'm like what that shit does is it the, the the few memories we do have of our people and the times we spent with them well now we in a moral argument of well that wasn't healthy and now you a lot of times you can't even enjoy your being around your fucking family when it's a gathering of food because you're oh i don't eat this i don't eat that I, like okay well eat what you can it's stuff I eat particularly. I might eat something with my mom because I know there's something she enjoys. So I know once a year, I just enjoy it because I enjoy it. Certain I'm from the South, so it's certain foods my mom like to cook, okay? My mama like to cook her some pig feet and she like her some potato salad, usually around this time of year. I enjoy watching my mom enjoy that. That is a pleasure she enjoys. I'm not finna come over here and be a bore. Like, I don't know what... The fuck people think this shit is. This is the real fucking world out here. People are dying. People are starving. People don't have shit. So any critique does not addressing what the fuck is wrong with this fucking place. Then it's just wrong. And like, then you a fucking millionaire telling people how to spend their food stamps. What motherfucking sense that make? Bitch, none. So I say this to say enjoy food enjoy your memories of food enjoy all the bullshit we used to eat in fucking middle school (laughs) you know the sour straws just everything enjoy that shit enjoy the fellowship you have with food and your friends for example i mean some of especially like it's so many times it's like seafood specifically i have bonded over with so many people over a love for seafood like literally like literally (laughs) like you know how many memories are created let me tell you something when i eat seafood when i'm cracking a crab leg or or busting open a blue crab bitch i feel like it's nothing after i finish eating that shit i'm like wow i feel I, i can do anything in the world don't know why i don't know what the connection is there but i feel like hey i can do anything in the world now it does and it nurtures my spirit so i'm like (sighs) it's just a fucking mess but enjoy the food that you want don't feel bad about anything that you eat you know what i'm saying and we all navigate in what to do our bodies are all different so we have to navigate well what i need to what do i not need so much of and all of this type of stuff but don't get caught on these people who don't know what it's like at all you know and also remember that our food black people our food is connected to our ancestors so it's certain things you might eat that can just really uplift the spirit of your descent your 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 people excuse me um so that's that's it's, it's that was a mess and i was blown by that um and just the hottest miss child <laughs> so now we can jump into this interview i'm so excited so cam just really dropped just great gems for us um just regarding queerness regarding you know the relationship our queerness and our blackness has as we move forward and as we use the black radical imagination we talked about everything from hush harbors to queerness within spiritual hymns for black folks and 
we just talk about what it looks like for us moving forward, you know, and what it means. Nonprofits just we covered a lot of ground and um this this interview is just is so nurturing on so many levels. So please sit back and enjoy and I will plug all the things um because there is a book that is mentioned but that'll be in the show notes so sit back and enjoy my name is cam i use they them pronouns um rotating pronouns um i am currently um the co-chair for um organizing for the dc chapter black youth project 100 um and I've just been like personally um, studying Black leftism, especially thinking about in context and the political climate that we're currently in and what that means for our work, what that means for the next generation's work um, and the folks who have like did this work before us. So excited to begin this conversation. Right. I'm, I'm excited as well. So can we first start at like just the queerness of blackness um, and how that impacts how we integrate with this society we in um, and all of that? Yeah, I remember first reading about like queerness being framed as as an identity, a political identity that um all connects to our material conditions is like black folk um arthur kathy cohen's had talked about um deron who was he went to a cps school in chicago and um he ended up being murdered by some classmates and the stories that kind of like was speculating around it obviously said in this like narrative around like blaming him because he was a black boy the criminalization that came with that um the lack of accountability that came with that um was really important to like me to think about queerness and context even before like I even identified as being queer I remember this story around like what happens when racial injustice happens right and those who are black those who are poor those who are working class um are really like grappling with those conditions without any resources right without the government and i think that's so reflective to today even thinking about like how marginalized folks respond to the pandemic right there is no trusted relationship with the government which is rightfully so right if something happens to you in your life you know you can't go to the government to get resources which is something that governing spaces should provide for folks who are marginalized, especially systematically marginalized. So I think about that and I think about queerness and I think about disparity and I think about oppression and I think about how like queerness exists not only in identity, but in like our abilities to like move away from the glass ceiling and our abilities to push back against like racist undertones that happens in the workplace and our ability to like exist in a different capacity besides 
those that like kind of cripple our experience, especially thinking about even the idea of racial stereotypes, which for me, like in practice has led to a lot of the injustices that folks experience. And, and it also speaks to the long history of like racial discrimination. So thinking about Jim Crow, right? Thinking about the great migration folks is trying to escape that, but that's still being a reality for our experiences today. And that, and I think about that in the lens of queerness and how blackness always exists within that because it seems especially thinking about like us in in the social order that marginalized folks directly impacted folks are like the ones constantly fighting for a peace um and i think about that in the context of queerness when thinking about how gay folks fight in the same way and trans folks um and queer folks fight in the same way and i think about it in even the context of intersectionality around like how blackness is already queer, right? We're fighting for legitimacy, we're fighting for personhood, we're fighting for claims to land, like still basic stuff and even indigenous folks too. And it just reminds me, even in thinking about how like cis women are impacted by transphobia and not to even center them in this conversation, but it just reminds me how we are all impacted because of our blackness by queerness and we're all marginalized in a particular kind of way that when we're fighting for black liberation, those queer, those trans, those most marginalized have to be at the forefront in how we show up because that's how we will get liberation, right? The most marginalized have to be liberated. So we have to really situate like queerness with blackness and the proximity to liberation. Like that feels really important to me and thinking about like this work and thinking about even my identity of how I show up for people. And so it feels like, especially in this current climate, like homophobia, like it is it just is no room and I think especially around recently with folks coming forward and sharing their stories of surviving um that really speaks to it speaks to how we silence those who are gender oppressed who have survived and so it feels like we need to like study queerness right we need to study what how black folks in the past saw their queerness how non-monolithic it is and how like queerness is just everywhere, even in like the songs and hymns we sing. And so, yeah, I just realized, I just feel like that has to be like a part of the context setting and like how our, how our experience have really been like silenced and how queerness gives all of us the ability to exist endlessly without being limited to the binaries of gender without being limited to the binaries of everything. It just gives us so much flexibility and it feels to me like queerness is directly related to how we'll get free, is directly related to the Black radical imagination. And thinking about the ancestors and the elders, where, you know, like the erasure of their queerness, um, and I know you do some work around that, what how were they using queerness to combat this like combat this during their time yes yes i recently heard about a story 
um, of black folks who were enslaved. It was called the Hush Harbors. I don't know if you heard of it, but it was where black folks would go to like practice. They would go to pray. They would go to practice hoodoo, African traditional religions. They would just go to sing they would go to rejoice but they would like create their own spaces and that also makes me think about like maroons and like maroon communities and black folks really like not searching for a specific type of liberation that like whiteness gives but really doing internal work and creating the material that they need without without the white gaze right without global (laughs) devastation without like Mm -hmm. all of these impacts and I see that so much in also like I see like the queerness in silence especially hearing about like stories from ancestors um because I was talking to some elders who were a part of SNCC and they were talking about experience with like gender um, inequality, racial inequality, and also like queerness a part of that as well. And I think it's interesting even hearing about like this kind of don't ask, don't tell policy and like how folks were even able to like live and like how politics even have the ability to come in fruition if you have to like live like that and like engage in a particular kind of way that like silence a part of your identity and I think about like stories that we have I think about stories that ancestors have around like writing stories to their friends and being excited for women who wrote stories about being enslaved and excited to see other friends who were enslaved and who were like the same gender as them and I think about like so much of the secrecy even in my own family like the the, the secrecy that exists and mm-hmm. so for me it feels super liberating and super affirming to like be open and be queer and be queer for my ancestors who couldn't be loud about being queer um and like definitely I think it's still hard to like unlearn this but like releasing that shame in like the name of your ancestors in the name of your ancestors who were queer before in the name of your ancestors who may be queer but never got to experience that right and I think that's also important in thinking about recently how um the judge rbg just passed away and thinking about how the erasure of black queer history right and thinking about how folks have like made careers out of like speaking about specific issues that impact black folk without fighting for their material conditions right and so in this time we see white women being heralded for standing up for reproductive justice when black women in North Carolina are still being sterilized and like all of these things are still happening. And so for me, it feels disjointed to like be in hooray of a person who didn't change my material conditions. And I think that also speaks to like why it's so important for us to like investigate that queerness now and like 
even if that queerness exists in how we're writing, right? Not even like romantic partners, even if it exists in like how we show up for friendships outside of this minimized idea of romance that we've been taught. Because I've been just taught for so long that like I have one partner and that's the person who I give everything to. And like I've missed out in so many building relationships with my friends and comrades who have given me so many different types of love and care that a romantic relationship never has. And so Mm -hmm. I also think about that and like, you know, our ancestors' relationships with each other, how they leaned on each other for freedom, um, how they picked their battles with each other and like really relied on each other and really would use like the Hush Harbor as a space to like reclaim their identities, reclaim their language, reclaim their religion and practices and I really see that queerness is just everywhere, even in like <laughs> stories I get told about like my uncles and like them like, running from things and like and so now it feels necessary for me to like live that truth and like name that and speak loud about it and like empower others to live in that and sit in that. Um because I think like, yeah, binaries are like super new. and I think about like even before black folks were enslaved I think about black folks in Africa black folks in Madagascar um and on the western coast and I think about drums and I think about music and I think about like colors and I think about like masculine presenting folks in skirts and I think about like the sound of our people and resilience and like how queerness exists in that and so it just feels like such a disjustice that like black folks today have to really be reliant and exist in these like oppressive systems of binaries because that's not what blackness has ever been um and so i'm interested in the future even with like really doing some more research around like stories of ancestors who are queer stories of my ancestors who are queer and how i can be able to liberate them um in my only journey for queerness but in like naming who they were and how they showed up and how they maybe couldn't have showed up so thinking about the hush harbor now like seeing it as a space that was carved out how is that possible because like thinking about even in spaces that are supposed to be safe safe we still have oppression so it's does that mean like we all need our separate spaces sometimes and then coming together for certain parts like do these people need to be over here like what does it look like in order because I mean like people can be just shitty regardless of who they are what they Mm -hmm. identify as like I think Mm -hmm. that's something people starting to realize now because it's like oh I thought this person was so-and-so but I'm like no they're just horrible so like (laughs) what does that look like on a realistic note like Mm -hmm. you know I think I honestly and like I've since I've been doing this work most recently and seeing how um just how some folks just respond to conflict how folks move and like a lot of it to be quite frank has been like trauma responses right like even in like how I may be like passive aggressive to someone who I feel like isn't holding as much work as me. It's like way to communicate. 
and like we have to build relationships with each other we have to build trust with each other and it also feels important to like name how you respond to something so I think even in reflecting just thinking about like me taking on like work that I feel like I might be passive aggressive towards someone else it's important for me to create boundaries right like that has to be something that I am working through and so I can't necessarily like blame someone because I took on too much right I need to set boundaries and that that just makes me think about like the important need for us to do like inner work like with regardless of where we at like where we at if we in practicing law if we wherever we all need to do inner work because like so many things happen to us like at a young age that we never were able to process from regardless of whoever you are right and so even in the way that like a white cisgender woman was traumatized like that person needs to be able to work through that in order for liberation to like truly be in like truly be happening and truly like come to like real form it feels like we have to all do some work but I think even in that like I know folks joke about like you know everybody can come um I personally believe everybody has the ability to change and like that's possible in every human but for those who cause harm right we we have to figure out I don't know. I think I struggled with that because I struggled with thinking about like, yeah, transformative justice, like people are changing, people are being reshaped. And that, thinking about that and just opposed to like abusers who like brag about this transformative justice process they went through and still rape someone, right? And so it feels like the Black radical imagination is calling for something it's calling for us to be imaginative. It's calling for us to be creative. It's calling for us to be able to use that child work and those child instincts and like funness. It's calling for us to make this work pleasurable. It's calling for us to make this work like exciting. And so I think that's also like important to name. But going back to like everybody can't go, right? So I think it's important for us to create containers where we don't have to worry about patriarchal violence. We don't have to worry about like specific gender oppression. And that seems necessary. It also seems necessary for us to spend some time really like grappling with the harm that has been caused. Like whether that means like shifting our work to to focus on. Um, because I think, like, honestly, I'm still, like, struggling. What, it, what does it look like for liberation to happen where those who have caused harm are in a part of that space? It doesn't feel liberating for those who survived. It doesn't feel liberating for those who are, like, historically gender oppressed. And I do think it's possible, though. But I think what the Black radical imagination is calling for is us to create conditions and spaces that don't currently exist and so when a lot of people like create like okay we're going to have a transformative justice process for those who commit harm like abolition is never like claim perfection and never like are going toward that but I think it's important in, in like this work and naming that like no abolitionists don't have all the answers but the black radical imagination is calling for us to like dig deep and like think about our own skills in order to figure this out. And so 
it feels like we need to not only have containers to address harm and to hold folks accountable with a like a proper disclosure process, but it also feels like how can we a, create spaces now to prioritize folks who have been harmed and prioritize those who are surviving to exist without experiencing that harm. And so I'm wondering what, I mean, I know folks already do like Black women's collectives, Black feminist, Black women is spaces and housing. And so folks have already like started this work and I'm wondering what it looks like for us to fight for liberation in community of people that like we trust and like we know won't harm us, right? And like, not that I think folks are disposable. Um, and I honestly, I think that word is like overused and like needs a lot of deep diving of like, what do we define that as? Because I think like, it's very harmful to be like, we're not gonna keep this person out of our organization because that's disposal and a member is still being re-triggered every time they have to be in the capacity or a space with that person. And so um, I think I would like to see at this point more, contain more contain containers created for Black liberation that aren't under a nonprofit gaze that don't allow us to use a C4 and have to do electoral work that complicates what electoral work is as a tactic. Um, and that really gives us the ability to not have to pick between the government and ourselves really gives us the opportunity to like show up however we are as complicated as that is without being harmed. And so I feel like that's more of a priority in this moment. Like folks who have committed harm have to be accountable and like I think accountability can definitely look like not being allowed in a space anymore. Yeah, that feels like something that if, if it's a survivor's request. And so um, I also kind of think about like the ability to like change and like build relationships. Cause I think that's all this work, building relationships, whether you are connected with your neighbor, whether you are in a pod with somebody and y'all working on sending dinners to an elderly person who can't be as mobile as others. I think it's important to like build relationships with each other. Cause I remember doing like decrim. Um, decriminalized sex work canvassing and like we were just knocking on random doors in black neighborhoods and like just talking to black people and we were just like you know do you think someone should go to jail for work and they were like no and we were able to like really talk through like what what the current like conditions were and like how fundamental it was that like folks needed resources so they wouldn't have to go to a certain specific work for survival and not saying folks don't engage in sex work for preference because that's totally legitimate but we really have to as a society really address the need for trans folks to engage in sex work because it's a 40 percent chance that a less qualified person will get a job over a transgender person because they are six gender whether that trans person has higher education or or, or whatever and so it feels like we need to kind of name that and like grapple with that especially you know black women historically engaging in sex work as a form of survival to meet their needs, right? To get their kids fed. And like, we also really have to grapple with the level of misogynoir that like <laughs> exists everywhere. And like, is not only na nauseating, but gaslighting and like reductive. 
And so I feel like I'm excited for movements to center those who are gender oppressed, to center those who are differently able-bodied, right? To center those who are working class, to center those who are poor, those who um, are bilingual or in English may not be their first language. Um, those who are sad, it feels like now is the moment where those experiences have to be centered because our experiences as individuals are so complicated and binaries and imperialism and capitalism only give us this limited idea of who has power and because of the way that capitalism works, it works so backwards that those who are directly impacted cannot get their needs met in order for a liberation to happen through like black people taking all these roles in the government right so we need like we need something greater than a black woman being elected in this position at this moment because um that's what it's calling for in this moment so we i think we're past representation right we need like really um yes we need some action. Yes. So I want to go back to um, you talk. Can you go into more about nonprofits and your stance on it? Why it doesn't need to be involved? Because I think a lot of people don't understand mm-hmm. how that like graze the space once the nonprofit gets in there. Yeah, I would honestly like recommend everyone to read The Revolution Will Not Be Funded. Um, and in the beginning, the Arthur, my bad, in the beginning, the Arthur talks about um, the Ford Foundation, which is a, a very well known uh, foundation. They were going to give this organization insight, they were going to give them 100K cool they had the money spent they had projects and plans are created and they put out a um, letter in solidarity with Palestine and they took the money back and so the Arthur talks about them really like scrambling to like raise 60k in like five days because like they had already promised so many people like this money and four had that they wouldn't do it because they put out a letter of solidarity with Palestine and the Arthur talked about how like they did it right which is like proof that we can do this shit right they were able to raise it in five days but she was really speaking to like the role of like state funding and state funding organizations and I'm saying that because when we talk, like, when I use references to the government, you know, to power structures, I am talking about the state. And, and, and I think that's very closely tied to funding because Absolutely. the state is funding for specific reasons, right? And so um, I think that's important to name. And I think, like, nonprofit structures are just inherently oppressive. It's just inherent. It's not, like... I think Black-led orgs for years have been, decades, have been trying to, like, you know, get a nonprofit industry, change material conditions, but we see them just, like, not meet that at all aspects, right? Even thinking about radical organizations, we just see them fall flat because they have to really meet the needs of that state funding. They have to, they can't really, like, do whatever, 
it's no it's not a lot of wiggle room room it's like yeah we love the work you're doing but can you do this and like I think that's important to think of especially when state funded organizations are not funding organizations for their current work but want them to do something different that also feels important to name but I even think about like you know D9 organizations I think about Black Greek letter organizations and like how they just fall so short and it's really devastating actually in this political climate I think every org needs to like just reassess like reassess the moment like reassess what's happening we in a global pandemic like what and I think specifically around like just fraternities and the amount of like women who've experienced sexual assault and like never have like named that never have like had resources to like have any accountability on their part I think about like survivors from that I think about like girls who may have like pledged and still didn't ever get like what they needed still didn't ever get sisterhood or the the man who didn't get brotherhood and I think about like even Delta specifically like really going on a moratorium for three years because they didn't know how like to say no to like trans girls who were trying to join and I think about like all the pledging and hierarchy um and how a lot of people just have like hooked up stories about like their experience with this, even if they did join. And I think about specifically in my experience, how like the hierarchies were abusive um, and wondering would I be better off without it? Like, <laughs> I, I think like we really got to name that and reckon with that for real. Cause like a lot of people have been harmed because of like HBCUs, because of D9. And I just think about folks just continually falling short, right? And for me, I see like, I, I have to reassess always and think about what do I want? I want black liberation, right? I don't want, I don't want black exceptionalism I don't want individualism. I don't want economic growth for myself, right? I even think about, you know, the role of a landlord and like that's inherently a bad role. And so I just see like nonprofits as being inherently bad. They all push for hierarchy, right? They all push for the folks who are actually doing the work to be less paid, right? Think about how interns are paid in nonprofits, regardless of it's black led, whatever led, whatever. Exactly. I think about how members are forced to do all of the labor for free and those who are at the top don't do anything and like are actually getting the money from like what we make right black black organizers are putting their life on the line every day on the front lines and then a nonprofit collects that and I think that's important even when saying folks you know when folks donate to people like really donate to like niggas doing this work donate to like real people because you know exactly. if you donate to NAACP if you donate to Delta Sigma Theta or whatever that's that's just them holding your money right and we know there are members there are people part of these organizations who are struggling to pay rent struggling to get their needs met and this organization is hoarding millions of dollars right and so it feels like I don't think people who are in these roles are bad people but I think the structures are bad and I think liberation will never happen through a nonprofit. It won't be a nonprofit organization doing agenda setting. And I think that's so apparent even with 
every movement, every organization. And like, it's actually sad to see, but I'm hoping, especially thinking about the context that like these experiences can help us move towards something, right? Like ancestors, ancestors know that we're going through these things and they went through these things, but giving us this experience now to help propel us to something greater, to get us somewhere closer. Um, and it just feels like nonprofits just always show up, show up sure and not even think about how folks praise Al Sharpton. And I was like just writing about like nonprofits recently and just learning that like he wore a wire to try to get a shot of location and like folks still like see him as a hero. And so I think ridiculous. Yeah, I think we really need to grapple with what's happening. Um we need to really let go of celebrity. We need to really let go of hierarchy. We need to really let go of heroism um, and praise because I think like that power is just like inherently bad. You feel me? Like I know niggas who they got 10,000 Twitter followers. They making money now. Folks are calling for speaking engagements and like they move different. And I think their alignment is different. Things they support is different because like, you know, those book deals, those those endorsement uh-huh. elected officials and candidates, I know they get paid for. I know that for a fact, but it's just like, what's the price we gonna pay? You know, like I mean, yeah, I would like to write a nice book, but if that means that I'm gonna have to ignore how certain folks' conditions are marginalized, and like you know, I think even thinking about like how folks claim that voting is harm reduction, and I think about harm reduction to who, and I think about you know black undocumented folks who can't vote, and I think about mm-hmm. you know black poor folks who don't care to fucking vote because they need to figure out what they're going to eat this next week, and like we're just constantly being like choked with like patriotism that. I ne- I don't necessarily feel closely aligned to, right? I feel like a Black person who is living in America, I don't feel like a Black American. And so I'm just wondering if nonprofits can reassess and be able to, like, give that, give the millions to people doing this work. Give those millions to people who are facing eviction, right? And it don't seem like they can or they want to. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like we need different containers to, like, fight for our material conditions to get met. Do you think, thinking about when these people are tied up with celebrity culture, the whole defund the thing, defund the, what is it, eight, what was that thing? Eight to something. Abolition. Yeah, and so, Kim, first answering it, well, will you, as you answer, please define like abolition, because you know, social media get a word, and it's like <laughs> abolish vacuums, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but under people understanding why these things have to be abolished, the systems, like <laughs> yeah. And I, I just would say that I well, what I said thus far would speak to this question, but do want to add that, um, I think researching electoral work and like seeing what answers have been in the past seeing Fannie Lou Hamer and like all of these things and it's really helped me situate like where we are now because I know that like folks yeah I just think we just gotta do some research on like the past because I think about like 
how Martin Luther King Jr. had meetings with presidents. I think about Rosa Parks having meetings with presidents, and I think about like <laughs> Mary J. Blige against Hillary <laughs> Clinton. But I'm saying that to say that like we've been fighting for our con- conditions for a long time. You know, black people get, been getting beat up and killed by the police for decades, centuries. So I think for me, abolition, like, I see abolition as like a framework, an end goal, something to move closer to. Um, when I think about it in practice, I think about like care. Um, I think about love. I think about like getting niggas knees met. I think about existing in structures outside of the state. And so I think one direct example I have about like abolition in action is like mutual aid. And so folks have like decided that like they're not gonna wait on the government to give them support that they deserve, right, anymore. Mm-hmm. And that they're gonna like lean in community to be able to get their needs met. And that has been like truly transformational. When I think about like organizations like No Justice, No Pride raising like 40K for like trans women for housing and like how monumental that has been because DC council wasn't going to do that and I see abolition as this way to get our needs met without relying on like inherently harmful governing structures and so even thinking about like state and nonprofit, I see that as like reductive to abolition because abolition for me gives everybody the opportunity to show up as they are if that's like tomorrow you have a new pronoun if that means like you're shifting your identity is shifting your community is supporting you through that it feels to me like reproductive justice has to happen for abolition to happen so we have to really address like the history of gender oppression we have to really address how like it's so much but it feels like we have to really address how abortion access and who has the access to that who has access to funding and who is shamed for that who is shamed for getting abortions opposed to other folks it feels like we need to really like study the work that our ancestors have done who've come before us who have performed abortions who have taken over um ships that were transatlantic ships to enslave folks right who have jumped who have stayed because it's resilience and staying it's resilience in like moving forward it's strengthening that and i hate when people say there isn't but that feels important in abolition work it feels like i don't know i think about like my first moments of being like politicized and like how that has resonated to the work that i do now and like I remember when I was like five, seeing like my dad, like his closet, he was he had like 12 to 15 guns. And like, I legitimate didn't even like process that fully until like two weeks ago when I was thinking about like black folks needing to be in arms and needing to like be prepared for what's next. And like even uplifting Korean games and how like, how the fuck she went out, right? badass black woman who like had a gun and like stood up for herself and stood her ground and like even how like you know 
Facebook took her live down because she was like live at one point talking about mm-hmm. what was happening in standoff. And I think about that in relation to abolition. You know, the state is never going to like be on our side. Not me, not mm-hmm. Black people, not queer people, not those who are trans, um, not those who are poor, not those who are directly impacted, not those who are impacted by climate change. And I think about Facebook taking her live down and how like taking that agency away from her, right? Facebook cooperates with the state, the police is the state. And I think about that even in relation to, you know, police violence and like even folks trying to gender that as like, you know, just black women, black men being impacted by that. I think about black women and black girls who've been impacted by that. I think about Rakia Boyd and Anaya Jones. And I think about how black sex workers are impacted by police violence. I think about the sexual violence. I think about um that police officer Holtz Carl or whatever his name was who had like abused women on like stops and like most of them were poor black and brown women and I think that that's important to name in our work for fighting for conditions because like you know I'm not fighting to defund the police we're fighting for a whole new system of safety you know and like I think it's important for us to like understand we really got to come to grips that the police are here to protect the ruling class and the bourgeoisie white people and I think once we're able to like understand that I remember last week we had like had a dinner with some folks from SNCC and they were just talking about like working in their day and like how everybody knew what the police was like they, they knew the police was there to like lock black people up and kill them and I think about now how like propaganda, propaganda, and how it's really this bald idea that if we just get more black folks in these roles, like things will change. And I think it's important to like really like dig into that and thinking about the black people that are already in roles that things haven't changed. Think about like Minnesota, how all of those folks were Democrats in that office and how the residents really did light it on fire and I think abolition has taught me that going through the state, like going, fighting for this with the state is not a possibility. Um, And that we need to really like use a black radical imagination to get our needs met and like really see things into reality. And so abolition has been like, not only like inner child work, but like, giving me the ability to be like empowered through imagination and giving folks the ability to really think about what our conditions could be. And so I don't necessarily know what the future looks like or what to do with those who kill, but I know now that folks who are killing are incarcerated, right? It's black and brown folks and folks are incarcerated for violating probation and nonviolent offenses. And so it seems to me that like black people have had to reckon with enslavement for so long and we really have to create a new container to get our needs met and it's not through representation it's not through another black woman in congress it's not through um being a landlord right if you are going to overprice your apartments you're going to be a slumlord um you are going to kick people out for not being able to pay their rent, even though niggas is poor, right? It doesn't 
-hmm. it doesn't feel like those roles are going to get us toward black liberation which is what i want and like i think it's also important to acknowledge every black person don't want that like some black people just want to get rich right and i think once we do once we do that child work and once we're able to realize like damn i was poor and i have a fucking relationship with money and like now i want it all and Mm -hmm. that feels important and like yeah i think once we like are just really building relationships with each other creating new conditions that we want to see i don't know i think abolition is like possibility like it it isn't necessarily a definition it gives us the possibility to dream to move differently even if it's reassessing in six months and being like shit we don't know what the fuck we doing we're gonna do something else right because like perfection is white supremacy that gaze that that need to be something and like once we're able to give ourselves more grace, once we're able to be like really principled and really be like, damn, I fucked up, I showed up bad and like be accountable because like, again, a lot of shit be trauma responses. So you being defensive is probably a trauma response for when you were younger and you couldn't speak up for yourself. And so it feels like abolition gives us a way when there is no way. And like, even think about Ida B. Wells and Sojourner Truth and like their fights for abolition and like, I think about like ain't I a woman, which we don't know what accent that was, right? But right. I, think about, <laughs> I think about us meeting our own media and narrative telling that is that is not ran by Sean King. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just think about like those who sought the truth. Like, Ida B. Wills sought the truth. Nobody can stop Ida B. Wills from seeking the truth, seeking, like, what was real and that feels mm-hmm. important. Yeah. To abolition, to, like, my journey. Right, right. What do you um think the roles are, like, uh, think about our connection with our ancestors as we create um something new in some cases sometimes we create and what's been established eons ago it's just mm-hmm. been lost through mm-hmm. the colonial state so what role is it for why why do we have to understand the role of them in this mm-hmm. that's deep i have recently started like listening to old hymns because mm-hmm. um i really want to like know what like ancestors were listening to and knowing what like was encouraging for them and being like liberated in that but I would one I would like for like every black person to be able to like learn about like practices and religion and like black culture like themselves without being stifled by the insidiousness of Christianity and just organized religion in general I just think they're so crippling and don't give us the ability to like do what fits for us which may not fit for everybody um and I think I first like kind of discovered like the African tradition and religion like just this year with like you and like things that you taught me and one, I think about how that was important to like 
me building like trust with you me being able to lean on you and like feel like cared for and how that one is liberating right um but also I think about the transformation that has happened because I've wanted to know more about my ancestors because I've prayed and written and they've responded you know and I know some people like may or may not believe in that but like even in those old church videos and niggas with hymns and like folks catching the Holy Ghost and like that in spirit and like mm-hmm. that being close to us and like I think church spaces have just traditionally been a space for like blackness to exist um, even though like misogynoir and all of those things came with it but I think like learning about those came before that came before me has not only been like gave me humility but it's also helped me like really think about direction in a particular kind of way and so for me it feels like even in like thinking about black liberation it feels like you know ancestors have kind of brought us to a place right like that we, we are in a certain condition because of how folks have like moved things forward and I think I think folks like, you know, like to shame respectability politics, but I think a part of us like getting to this point has happened through that that politic. And I think where we are right now and like where I think we've always been is like seeing the limits that exist because of that, right? Seeing like, you know, a black pageant queen and like the next day she changed for our lives, you know, like little black girls still <laughs> were facing colorism. And so, right. It feels like me being able to learn about ancestors and learn what they did, like tension that arose in their movements and what came up in their fight, how Harriet Tubman had a gun, you know, it just, it feels like that was important to know, like, okay, I know what the fuck I'm dealing with, right? I know Mm -hmm. that, like, some people have different intentions and I know that, like, I'm not going to play reform games because my ancestors did that. Like it, it, like, it just feels to me like now I feel in a better position to know what we need for the future, to know how important being in arms are, to know how important being in community is, to know that like we shouldn't let electoral politics divide us because they've divided people that came before us, to know that like and even like yeah being encouraged through that as well and so not only have I feel like I've had like a personal awakening a personal like liber liberation like self-liberation I feel like that experience and that like journey can be like really impactful to everybody right to know that like you are a certain way because your great-grandmother was this way and like you know what I mean and like I think that's also really helped me create context for the co-opting of like a non-violent movement and like folks like choking us with Martin Luther King and that rhetoric without naming like where he was before he passed without naming like him being radicalized Mm -hmm. um and I think about that when I think about like a violent movement too like how the journey that has went with through folks for a non-violent movement and like where we are now and Mm -hmm. especially in context of like a global pandemic and 
every four years is supposed to be the most important election and every four years things start still feeling the same mm-hmm. so yeah I think like that is a super monument to, to <laughs> as well as like context for like where we should be going now and like things we've already done so we don't need to redo um learning different ways to create like security for this work as well as like sharing knowledge with each other and like how folks did that um and how like rebellious and all of those different type of things happen because of that because of like that knowledge building because of that skill building so yeah that feels important for me for people to know when like doing this work when like moving forward it will only benefit us like building trust with ancestors praying praying for things specifically writing things down that we want and need spiritual practices to like empower themselves because honestly my spiritual practice have like helped really ground me like because it should be all over the place but like when I sit Ooh, when I pray real. when I listen to music when I'm still you know when I close my eyes and rest and I know like folks have been like calling for that in these moments like black folks resting like that is liberatory and that's you know paying homage to our ancestors like resting and restoring and rebuilding and being recommitted because like this work is forever you know like it's not you know black people aren't really doing campaign work this is our lives and like and that's why I really talk about like you know, white people and, like, ally and, like, me not believing that's actually a thing because, like, I just think, like, Black trans folks, like, Black poor folks, those indigenous, um, we just got a lot on the line. And, like, you know, for mm-hmm. white people, they can pick and choose what issues they want to support, if it's climate justice or whatever, but, you know, we really got to deal with, like, steel mills and all of these things being in our communities we have to deal with asthma. We have to deal with all these things. And so it's not campaign work for us, it's our lives. And like the way it looks, we'll be like fighting for a while. And we really have to preserve our energy and like know that like it's, it's bigger than the campaign. Like it's bigger than just white allyship. Like we need like, we need like something bigger than just ally like we need camaraderie like we need like camaraderie we need like to be in solidarity around issues for me more so than like black white allyship um and those who like support black lives matter and like yeah everything is performance but i think ancestors Mm -hmm. have like taught us that they've all like i think if we study you know ancestors we will learn how far they've came and things that they have encountered in order to better prepare us for what's to come and how we can really like do this work because not only is this work like liberating in itself it's like personally liberating you're transformed all the time you know and like when I have an issue with somebody I can't beat their ass or cuss them out and it be resolved like we have to really handle this situation and so it feels like this work is calling for more from us too. And ancestors are like pushing us to lean into what is calling us in order to like be more strengthened and more prepared for what's to come. 
what do you think about um the possibilities of um those of us who do want to just uproot like our lineages from this country you know america Mm -hmm. like what is like what do you because i know it's easy to say oh i want to leave but like it's so many layers it's like language Mm -hmm. like it's so many things you're going to be like working to just like uproot yourself like it's power and uproot but also like it's some realistic things to deal with if you're thinking about the uproot yeah that's interesting i would and i know me you talked about this i would be interested in just like knowing where my people came from like knowing like their skills like did they grow rice did they what things they did um to better help me understand like what the land means to like my people because like I would be very much so interested in like what herbs they grew and what things that like people in my specific lineage use to restore and like give themselves wellness because I think about you know ties to the land and even thinking about um indigenous folks and like blackness being indigenous like um I think about like what parts of land are like naturally parts of the land that my people thrive in and like that being important to this work um in order to like better suit us because I just yeah I think niggas just got so many skills like and I think if we knew our skills and we were like yeah we're gonna go to Bolivia or whatever or we about to go to Madagascar or South Africa we would better know how to care for the land better know how to connect with our ancestors um and it would really like strengthen our ability of like pride and ownership and ties to the land too um and I also think about you know all of the things that come with being in America. Um, And I think about how the systems repeat in like wherever you are. I think about like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, going to Europe does sound cool, but I also kind of think about what are the ties to land for my people in Europe? Um, and like it feels like it's also important for us to do work around like where we were and like our journey and like where were black folks in their land in Europe and like if we can like deepen our understanding of that and use that to like take care of land and build our own like inner skills and like work for our people because um, black people everywhere and so it feels to me like I mean yeah go to Iceland but find out where indigenous folks were in Iceland and like be a part of that land and experience closeness to that and like talk to your ancestors there and really strengthen yourself and like your knowledge in order just to impact the next generation um and then this will be last question just thinking about um sex work and kind of the things that's going on with it in pop culture that's kind of like like what would it be like a co-op of sex work (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and i know when you did the um black feminist kitchen you really like dug in on a lot of the media aspects of this so i just wanted because it's just like we in this phase now where people are like oh sex work sex work 
and it's like performative but it's like mm-hmm. material dish material conditions aren't changing for sex workers and even if okay this person make an only fans that's one person who maybe getting this million dollars that's not because mm. then we're jumping into how desirable you are like it's yep. so many layers yeah. so what were your what are your thoughts on it as we see it um and what do you think is going to happen in the long run with like this in popular culture well i think first i really like really we really gotta like grapple with the need to end celebrity the end to the need to end hierarchy because I think about like Suki and like just famous black people in general who kind of like do this play on like whole culture when they're bored and like upload page upload videos to their only fans. And I think about whatever the white girl was who like had just got millions of dollars instantly. And I think about that specifically because she like violated OnlyFans restrictions because she had like was telling folks that she was gonna that like if they paid this much money it was gonna be a new photo and when they paid it wasn't and that fucked up a lot of poor people money because now we have all of these other restrictions and so I guess I'm thinking specifically about like policy and how that's inherently anti-black I'm thinking about like Sesta and Fausta and how like Trump really ended Backpage and ended all of these like containers that sex workers had to monitor engage who clients were before they met them um which made their work a little more safer but the fact that that doesn't exist now and i think about how like just disenfranchised it's just regardless of whatever issue it is like we see like black folks and those who are gendered oppressed be like really like grappling with those conditions and it's important for us to stop celebrities from hoarding like ways of economic stability for those who are working class. Um, but I think about how deadly it has been for like folks. It, it really is deadly for like folks to co-opt whole culture. I think about like, I think about like city girls and, and Trina and like, all of these other women who like make these empowering songs and it's like yes I love this but I think about how they can make empowering songs right but it's really a level of individualism that doesn't give those who are in the sex industry the ability to be liberated to be elevated to to fight for those conditions it seems like folks are in it for their own personal gains and it feels like in interviews when you hear folks being asked around like oh I see you talk about you know sleeping with men in your music how many men have you slept with this year or whatever container and like people really being like no I ain't a hoe or like what mm-hmm. well, that separation yeah and I think that speaks to like allyship as well because I think it speaks to I think it speaks to how like you know white people just leave us in the bus too and like it feels to me that like folks really hold on to whatever dignity that they had and that is like rooted in like not only is it rooted in white supremacy but it's rooted in like 
religion and on like oppressive spaces that specifically limit like women's ability to like make money and like navigate um because i don't fear here like men with like only fans being like put in the same narrative as women specifically it's like they have more agency over their bodies than those who do the same work and i think about you know even that in relation to like coal miners and construction workers and like i think we're all like getting being abused and impacted by like capitalism and capitalism structures but i think those of us who like have our lives on the line are just the folks who have to like grapple with whatever those conditions are and so it's like yeah if a celebrity has only fans and they make a million dollars in one hour and now only fans has restricted like folks who have profiles being paid once a week instead of like every other day because of like these things it feels like we're always the ones that our conditions are the ones that go quick or our resources are the ones that in quick and we have to like we are left with whatever reality that is and so it seems like OnlyFans has been a way for black women and other folks to make money and it seems like profit gets in the way of that but it also feels to me like we really need to fight to decriminalize because will just always be the ones that are impacted by policy, by harmful policy, like regardless of whatever policy it is, police reform, we'll just be the ones impacted. And um, especially when there are like police involved um, and police harass sex workers, right? Police uh, abuse their power, misuse their power for sex workers. And it just seems like, like, yeah, I love Trina, but her being like oh no I'm not a hoe I don't have sex with more than one man a year or you know Suki being like oh I got a man y'all ha 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 it feels like individualism and it feels like profit has kind of come before shifting those conditions and it feels like those who really do this work, those who really are hoes, you know, are really like fucked over in the end, right? Because it's like Suki can like do cosplay for a hoe or whatever the fuck he is, but then go back to being a real respected um, person. Like, and I think that speaks to desirability. I think it speaks to like queerness and like, you know, her being with like a male partner, masculine partner. I think it speaks to all of those things because it's like, those who are, who are queer, who are sex workers, can't ever have that respectable respectability, you know. Like mm-hmm. those who are fat can never have that respectability, and so it just seems like the people that I want to fight for liberation and fight for a world for are those who like have their lives on the line for this, because it feels like masculine people, even those who like are trans men, even like if they're passable it just seems like i don't know it seems that folks get a piece of power which i think is inherently harmful and that's when i speak to like we got to really disrupt celebrity culture but when folks get a piece of that power it's like you know class trader and all these other things kind of come with it it's like you know i'm not gonna report almost so fuck all the other poor people when it's like no we have to address the conditions that exist and so even speaking to like folks being a landlord and shit and it's like you know you get on social media and you laugh about 
a black poor person who is your teenager who can't afford their rent like that's mm-hmm. not I don't feel empowered by that right I'm poor no. I'm working class all right and black billionaires aren't gonna get us there um Ooh, and, that, it's yeah. so stupid it's that is but even when people are on this like yeah I'm gonna buy this many houses and rent this many out it's like what are you doing <laughs> like for what I can see if oh I paid off my house and I'm gonna let somebody stay here, but not on no like oh I'm gonna put you out like shit. It's a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like people get behind on shit. Like yeah, but, and I think it's, it's I think it's I think ancestors have also showed us great ways that we can take advantage of like land and things and like have cooperative right and have spaces where they're community led and community run. But I think. Again, I think goes back to one of your other questions. We got to seek that knowledge. We got to seek what ancestors did. We got to seek what we want in community and like transform in that before personal gain. And like for me, I always tell folks like, I don't want to be rich. You know, I want black liberation. I want my community to get their needs met. I want us to be well resourced. Um, and I think a part of that work has been like really like thinking about what do we want do we if we want black liberation and i say black liberation specifically i'm not talking about no bad people of color black indigenous people of color i'm not talking about like women of color i'm talking about black liberation and if any other person don't really align with that they can have their own liberation i also feel closely to class solidarity and liberation um and land liberation all these other things and um climate justice i think folks need to get climate reparations and all of these other things but i think we really need to like really reassess to be like wait what the fuck we at like we was fighting for representation in 2020 when we should have been like really fighting for government funding really fighting for eviction moratoriums really fighting for um drug rehab programs that are not operated like prisons and systems state funded systems well we discussed a lot and this was good so i'll i'm gonna put all your um social media paypal and you got cash up too don't you yeah i can't remember yeah okay um, but you know, you can plug any other things you have coming up and all of that good stuff. I guess I don't really have anything specific to plug, but just want to say um, that if folks want to like leave this with next steps, next steps for me feels like making a friend and a neighbor, somebody on your block who you know, um, whether that is like creating a pie where y'all have a reading group or checking in on them to see if they need anything from the store when you're on your way there. I want people to really like know their neighbors because when we think about like abolition and we think about like de-escalation and we think about like how these community interventions happen is with the support of neighbors. So if something happens to you, you could call a neighbor instead of calling the police for support. Um, And so, yeah, just want folks to like build relationships with people. I hope you all enjoy this episode with Cam. I'm going to plug all of their um, social media, everything in the um, show notes and the book that they mentioned as well. 
So thank you for listening to this episode and I will see you next episode. All right, be safe.